Hello and welcome to Halftime Scholars, the series that features the interesting work of independent and emerging researchers. Our guest today is Vibhuti Rao, a PhD candidate from Western Sydney University. Her research focuses on managing polycystic ovary syndrome conditions, a highly prevalent and complex disorder amongst Indian women, through an Ayurvedic diet and yoga therapy to provide alternative, sustainable and effective lifestyle options. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Thanks for having me. Let's get started. Tell us a little bit about your research journey before your PhD work. I am an Ayurvedic doctor. I graduated in 2010. I did my bachelor's in Ayurvedic medicines and surgery from India, Bangalore. After that, I came to Australia. My husband was there and I joined him. Since then, I wanted to do something continuously in Ayurvedic research. And I was looking around a lot and then I found out, okay, there is this university in Sydney which is looking for complementary medicines research and I approached them, but unfortunately things didn't work out at that time. And then I moved on to my master's in public health through University of New South Wales in Sydney. That was great because I learned basics of research like epidemiology, statistics, and I went into qualitative research. I met Dr. Professor Hasna Razi from UNSW, who was very kind to supervise me on my project. And I took my project into the area of postnatal depression. I found that area to be very relevant because that time I myself had delivered a child and I wanted to see how Indian women negotiate their care in Australia, especially postnatally. How is the support and how things work around them? I approached Professor Hasna and then she was very kind, okay, let's do this one. And then I did a qualitative research in 2015, which included interviewing a few women about their experiences and we did it. Everybody had a great journey to share and it was very rewarding emotionally as well for me as a mother. This is what is happening around. So as a researcher, you choose an area where which interests you. After that, how actually my journey started and I did my master's in yoga as well from India and where I started my prospective PhD work. But then I went on publishing my study from public health, Indian women's experiences with postnatal health. Then I also published my master's in yoga research, which was on among Indian women about role of yoga and Ayurveda in PCOS. So that's when my interest in PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, grew because I was largely seeing women with reproductive health issues and that motivated me to look into this area as well. So this is how I started my research journey. Yeah, so that's quite interesting and I guess quite related and interesting area that you have started, I guess, broadly in women's and their health. And also you mentioned yoga. So how does that fit into the current PhD itself? If you can talk a little bit about the actual PhD research topic and the methodology as well. Mm. Once I completed my master's, both the master's, and I did two projects, I had a brief exposure towards research. And uh, being a clinician, I think you are always passionate about to find out. It's just curious mind that whether this would work, that would work or how it works. So you kind of like trying to explore uh, different ways to help women. So because if women come into your clinic and you want to solve the problem, so and as a clinician, you try your best. But then as a researcher, you become more curious to find new ways. And that's when I went on to the same university, which I couldn't get into in 2011. 
So I said, look, this is how I am now and I would like to get on with my PhD. And this is what I'm doing and I'm seeing a lot of women with PCOS and such and such things. So yeah, and I was very fortunate enough to get into PhD program in 2019, I started. But I started meeting a lot of people since 2017 itself. To, since I finished my master's, I went on doing this. So I don't want any gap between my academic career. When I started that, it was tough to find out supervisors, to find out which university. But I was so predetermined, okay, this is the university, but I need to look for as a perfect supervisors because my previous supervisor from my master's were not very interested in this area. So had I continue with postnatal, maybe I would have continued with the same supervisor, but then I had to look for the new one. And I was very fortunate to get Dr. Carolyn E. as my supervisor. I started this journey with uh, finding lifestyle tools for ethnic Indian women living worldwide. So because, as you might know, that Indian ethnic population is a very growing population. And I have read somewhere that every fifth or seventh person on this earth is an Indian background. So I'm not talking about India as a country. I'm talking about Indian ethnicity or you can say uh, race or the cultural values they carry. So you can count upon India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, like, you know, that subcontinent which comes together. But yeah, people from Indian heritage, you can say, that's what appealed me that if you, if a woman, I myself, when I go to a, a health practitioner in Australia, and they ask me several questions about my diet and everything. And I don't get very specific answers about what to eat, what not to eat, because it's always about calories, maintain exercise and gym and other things. Whereas I, as an Indian woman, prefer that, okay, this is what my food is look like. So I wanted more specific advices to maintain my health. So that's when I thought, okay, because PCOS is such an area where it's metabolic, it's endocrine, it's a lot of things which is happening with the women. And uh, in Indian culture, uh, the fertility or the menstrual thing is seen as a very important area of their health as well. And they don't want to talk about it. Maybe they don't reach out to a health professionals very early. So, and they try to manage at home. So my thing was, okay, let's explore a lifestyle tool because sometimes uh, they may not want to start straight away on medication. So when it is an evidence based thing that lifestyle strategies are the first line treatment for the syndrome. So people have to be following a healthy lifestyle because now we are living in a world of an all sort of unhealthy habits. It's very difficult to get rid of those. And that is why inviting a lot of disorders. And they're chronic disorders. They don't happen overnight. They take time and our constant worries, stress, struggle, and dietary pattern, exercise pattern, everything affects us. I am in the process of developing a lifestyle tool, which is mostly an Ayurvedic diet because my background is, as I said, I'm an Ayurvedic doctor. So I wanted to pick up some culturally relevant diet measures, which is influenced by Ayurveda practice, which is very much rooted in Indian tradition and seeing yoga because yoga is very much acceptable tool as a method of exercising, or you can say a method of staying healthy in Indian tradition as well. And it's getting a lot of popularity. So I wanted to see that if we combine these two and we offer this to women coming from Indian ethnic background to manage their symptoms of PCOS, especially to lose weight. We are looking at how, because a lot of people say that yoga is to maintain weight, but how does it impact weight? We don't know because it's such a slow thing. So we are looking at specifically design a program for PCOS because you might have seen that yoga classes are there. They're generally yoga classes. But now this woman wants a specific class. Okay, look, I have this problem. What are the asanas or what are the diet? What type of meditation I should be doing, which can help me lose weight? 
so that is the outcome i'm looking at that it can help health professionals all over the world when they see a woman with ethnic indian background just to hand over hey look this is what is evidence based this is what you can try and even empower these yoga teachers to conduct classes for pcos and empower these ayurvedic doctors or ayurvedic nutritionist because you might find a lot of ayurvedic lifestyle certificate coach which are who are there in australia america canada and uk who talk about lifestyle so this is something they can talk to with their clients or even in india they can talk to their patients so this is what is my research about now and for that what we did is we looked at as a step by process because we cannot come up with something like this suddenly like i mean there is no basic research which has happened till today so i had to do my literature reviews so i did a scoping review of ayurvedic studies which has happened in women with pcos and i found out that there are a lot of lifestyle advices which are given to these women that if this not don't eat their seasonal advices according to their constitution or we call it as prakriti advices to according to their current routine what can fit them well that and then i did a systematic review of yoga studies which has happened in pcos so there are quite a few which are very promising last year i did my global survey among indian women living anywhere in the world with pcos We recently published my first paper on this. We found it very interesting findings, and I am in the process of doing publishing other papers which has come up from this study. And then once we have this, okay, so we know this is what is done, and this is what we even want. Then we are inviting these health professionals from Ayurveda and yoga background to understand what they suggest would be an appropriate tool. or appropriate protocol for these women to help lose weight so we are looking at single entity because we know that ayurveda is a very personalized medicine we are looking at uh, this type of women and for example let's say particular prakriti persons and then even the pcos phenotypes we pick up particular phenotypes and help them lose weight so we design a protocol using delphi and focus group methods and once we have this protocol we are going to run it for a feasibility trial and the pilot rct So then we have it. Okay, this is what we have, and now this is how it is effective or feasible, or it is yes, it is safe to do it, and that's how I'm looking at completing my PhD. So that's really interesting information about your journey so far, Vibhuti. But I had a question that popped into my mind. If you can maybe talk a little bit more about what PCOS, the syndrome, is. and what are some of the unique characteristics you find in south asian participants or come people from south asian backgrounds if you can elaborate a bit more yeah surely so pcos is a um, medical diagnosis which means polycystic ovary syndrome it's a very complex thing because it's a syndrome so there are multiple disorders which comes under this and as uh, medical science says that it's very highly prevalent among women of reproductive disorders there is a element of endocrine disturbances there is an element of metabolic disturbances psychological body shaming eating disorders and poor quality of life i read a lot of articles about how this has an impact on a women as a women who do you can say and profound impact on their life there are women who get confused that okay so if i have cystic ovaries i have got pcos and if they are not there then i don't have it which is not true so you need to see a doctor a medical doctor a registered medical doctor to get this diagnosis so when i did my survey i was very clear in 
my eligibility criteria that women who have been diagnosed with PCOS by a medical doctor because it's not like oh I might have it or I have irregular cycles and you go to a doctor who doesn't believe that you have it but you think you have it so it is like it has to be confirmed diagnosis and what I found that 100 plus women I think were ineligible in my study because they felt they have PCOS but not yet got diagnosed that's a very important point that women have to see a medical practitioner to get this diagnosis and don't just trust the internet or other sources, unreliable sources to get the diagnosis because it's a very important thing and PCOS takes time to diagnose as well because it's a diagnosis of exclusion. I mean, if you don't have ABC, then you have PCOS. This is how it is and I'm not the right person to talk about the diagnosis thing, but yeah, if you see a medical doctor, that would really help them. So. We have found that it's in less where the ovaries produce an abnormal amount of androgens, which is androgens is a male sex hormone, which is usually present there in women with a small amount. But if the levels increases in the ovaries, that women start having all the symptoms of male hormones like growing unwanted facial hair or belly fat, they have male pattern baldness. So those kind of all uh, male hormone things happens in the women's body and that's when women get diagnosed with PCOS. Yeah, and develop cysts also in the ovaries. And there are small cysts, like we call them uh, water bubbles, or the cystic appearances of the ovaries. And it includes like women have irregular periods, they have more body hair, weight gain is very tremendous, they feel like they're doing everything but they are not able to lose weight. Acne is another thing that women experience in their 30s or let's say late 20s, but they still get very bad acne and very inflammatory cystic acne on their face or it could be somewhere else in the body as well and thinning hair. So hair fall is a very usual complaint. And then comes the fertility concern. So if you're unmarried, then you don't worry about too much worry about maybe fertility. But once you're a married woman and trying for conception or trying to have a children, that's when it becomes more traumatized experience for these women to go through this whole process of diagnosis and treatments. Coming back to the South Asian point, there are a couple of studies which have found the prevalence rate of PCOS in India, which is quite higher compared to other ethnic groups. But a study which was conducted in 2010, they found that 50% of British South Asians have PCOS compared to 20% of white British. That was very interesting one. It has become more severe and more common among South Asians from past few years, I guess. And then maybe they do their inherited genetic thing. Uh, this is how they are made. And presence of comorbidities. So I, if you have a father or a mother who is diagnosed with a diabetes type 2 or any other metabolic problem, then it can easily come to you. And that's when it makes you more prone for developing PCOS. So we have to see that women family history as well. And also it manifests in a different ways in your body. So it's very important to see the doctor and get it sorted out, at least for the diagnosis. Many times it gets neglected, many times, because it's like, oh, you have a regular cycle, take a pill. Uh, take this pill, take that pill. And women are like, no, I want a solution. I, I cannot keep taking pills. So that's when it becomes a problem. And for like in India, if an Indian mother who is a working mother, and the daughter gets this irregular cycles, they go to the gynec. First of all, they, they fear a lot. The stigma is very high to go to a gynec for menstrual problem, taking your young girl that he, she has irregular cycles. And then even though you go there, then sometimes you may not choose to take pills. And that's when the things go wrong somewhere. <laughs> so it's just a very fine balance that women have to come to doctors early. Women have to be have a plan for their treatment, have a plan for the recovery. And the professional health professionals should hear them out that what is the problem. And, and as I said, uh, there's a problem in diagnosis as well. Like 
adolescence diagnosis is different in PCOS or compared to this 18 plus diagnosis. It is all things. So South Asians community should be now on, at, they are at higher risk of developing this. And we need early intervention screening plans. So for example, girls who are, I read another article where they are introducing yoga in early schooling, like when they are in schools, and which is really good because that would teach them to stay active. So schools-based education regarding the fertility or PCOS or their overall health as well, because PCOS has everything in it. That would help a girl grow into a good, healthy woman. So that's very important aspect of PCOS as well. And they can talk freely about menstruation, they can talk freely about fertility. And that's what we should be promoting in school A, school group as well, so that when they mature, when they have their periods, they don't feel ashamed about it to talk to a health professional. This is what South Asian community makes more complicated. This process is more complicated in that community and we need more research, more awareness, more talking about it. And even men coming forward and talk about PCOS or obvious, especially about menstruation. That's very important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I guess, as you mentioned, as Vada, coming from a South Asian community, there's a lot of personal health issues that not really addressed or spoken about in school, as well as in the community, in the family. And once you grow up and you have these uh, either syndromes or disorders or health issues, they become probably difficult to diagnose or come to terms with because some of these things are, you can probably gather that knowledge from a younger age. But yeah, I totally agree with you. And uh, stigma is also one aspect to specifically mm-hmm. look at. So it's really interesting. I guess moving on, Vibhuti, you mentioned, you alluded to, you had done your research, followed the cycle of the steps of the stages of your research and recently published some work. So if you can maybe talk to us a little bit more about what those publication or what that study involved and some of the findings that you and your team may have come through, but also keep in mind, was there anything that really surprised you in that exercise? I wouldn't say it surprised me because I, as a South Asian woman living in Australia, it's more about that we need cultural appropriate care from people. And as I said, that Indian women are everywhere in the world now. And you see a local GP and then you don't receive very special advices or let's say appropriate advices, not special, appropriate advices about your lifestyle and how to take care of yourself. Sometimes you might just say, for example, the GP may say, how are you? They may ask you, how are you? And then you say, okay, all good. I'm fine. Just to show that you're fine because, but internally you're struggling. That's very cultural thing in Indian women or South Asian women in general may be that they don't speak up for themselves. And sometimes they feel that it's fine. I can manage it. But as I'm not talking about for all, but I'm talking personally that though I struggle at few things. I may not tell to my health professionals. I would say, how are you? Or they ask, how are you? I would say, oh, I'm going great. It's very important to open up that, no, I'm doing it tough. I'm not doing okay. I'm struggling with this. I'm just struggling with my health regarding maybe I'm not able to go for exercise. I'm not able to cook food, which is I'm just more greedy towards this unhealthy food uh, habits or how to cut down. So these simple advisors in cleaning can make a hell lot of difference in someone with suffering with PCOS. So that is what I felt and when I went for this research and we found that women living overseas are not, though they are receiving good information about PCOS in general, but they're not getting very specific advices or they're not very satisfied with the, or they can, I can say they were less satisfied with the advices given to them regarding their diet, exercise and behavioral advice to improve their diet and lifestyle strategies compared to women living in India. And that was really interesting because if you 
are living in India, you are seeing an Indian person, Indian doctor there, and they know your culture so well. They say, okay, have one chapati, one palya, one sabji, for example, tea, you make it less, or, or are you taking tea, coffee, or what? You know, so these small things. And what happens is in India, I think dietitians, they in Australia, maybe dietitians have a very big role in helping these women, but maybe in India, it is all about they think that the doctor should tell them. It should come from the doctor, it should come, these advices should come from the doctor. The expectations are very high on health professionals. This is how it is. And when they move overseas also, so they carry these norms with them. This is what I expect from my health professionals. This is what I found out in my research. And we found out that they are more overweight compared to women living in India. And which was actually surprising because I thought that India is getting into an obese, uh, people with a high obesity rate. But even Indian women living overseas are also suffering with that. And there was an earlier research which was published, which came from, I guess, New Zealand, that Indians in general have very less physical activities. This has to change because I remember as a child, it is always told, oh, you study well, study well. And when you go for a sport game or something, like, you know, sports activity, you're like, oh, you're wasting your time. Don't do that. Go back, study well study well so it's always like a constant trouble or it's in our head that if you are spending time in exercise or you are into a sports game or something it's not that valuable as you will get through by studying so that thing also i think personally in my mind was always there so i thought let's explore that is it happening and there was enough research about south asian communities struggling with their metabolic syndrome diabetes and uh, obesity and uh, high lipids so so there was enough research and that's when i motiv- i got motivated to do that so we found out research that women were very young when they get the onset of pcos is very at a very young age because it's related to menstruation it's very young i think 19 or 20 they start experiencing the symptoms but they approach the doctors very late and that's how the diagnosis also gets delayed we found out that delaying seeking help itself impairs their quality of life in general, and their experiences with the diagnosis get influenced. We also found out the quality of life was very poor in weight and uh, body hair domain, because there is again, as you can see, the body image or in PCOS is body shaming, you can say, because you're coming with obesity, coming with facial hair. There's a lot of stigma around it to talk about it. If you get this little, little facial hair, you go for every now and then to <laughs> remove them and then you struggle. You, this, it is a real struggle for women and nobody understands that. So that's really hurtful for them. We found out that, yes, and it is more prevalent in women, if Indian women living overseas to manage weight. So that again talks about whether they are receiving enough support to maintain their weight. So that's very interesting in our research. And the key concerns when we found out, okay, so there are so many symptoms, but what are your key concerns or what you are struggling with your symptoms? And they said, first one is a regular cycle. So menstruation, menstruation, menstruation. This is something we need to bring it more in in some South Asian countries. And then second was difficulty, I think, weight related. So second is they need to be more healthier. They need to be more exercising. They need to be eating well. Their nourishment has to be looked after. And body hair was another one, I guess. We found out, very interesting, that 43% of women said that their father or mother has been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. It's almost nearing 50%. It's a huge number. If you see that so many people's parents are getting, so many women with PCOS parents are have been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. That's very important uh, for us to look into family history and the, how this genetic susceptibility is there with these women. We also explored about use of traditional medicines and 
that research is about to get published. But briefly, if I say there is quite a high use of traditional medicines in these women, and that has to be explored, acknowledged, and uh, better tools have to be provided or information has to be provided to them so that they can take informed decision about their health. Yeah, that's really interesting. As, as you mentioned, there's a lot of various problems that can encounter because of our ethnicity as mm-hmm. well as certain stigmas. Yeah, hopefully some of these findings will shed light and continue with others probably taking the mantle to do further research. If we move on, Buddhi, if you can probably talk a bit broadly on some of the challenges you have faced while doing your PhD in terms of your work and maybe also your personal life, if you can share some of those insights. Yeah, of course. As I'm midway my PhD, I think I've still not faced all the struggles, but whatever I've faced is profound, I guess, for any PhD student, for a matter of fact. It's like you need to balance your work and life and uh, move on with your rejections and publications and revisions. So that's there. But yeah, the main challenge was that bringing these women to talk about PCOS, like, okay, this is the survey, please fill in. So it was very struggle. I didn't have any response from these women for over, I think, 15 days. I was like, okay, there are no numbers coming. Though I set my expectations pretty low, like, okay, if we get 400, that's enough because that's a good number. But when you're doing an open survey, I mean, online survey, and you claim that so many women are suffering with it, then you expect, okay, numbers to be a, a bit high. I contacted these groups, I would like to mention PCOS Club India, who supported our project and the Global Survey survey Study and uh, PCOS Locus, Locus and uh, other organizations came forward to support the research. This is a very interesting thing that patients advocacy, these community groups play a very important role to create awareness about particular disorders and to make somehow, at least to push things a bit forward. So I really thank them to support our study in this regard. And uh, they helped me to recruit a lot of participants. And also then I went on other organizations, women's organizations, where I advertised it and I got good response. Then slowly I found somewhere 4,000 plus. Actually, we received 5,000 plus clicks, unique clicks on our survey link. But then multiple of them blank and then few of them were halfway or let's say 10-5% and many of them were ineligible because we made very our criteria very strict that 18 plus women so we didn't look at adolescents we missed out because the diagnosis in adolescents was not very much established I think by then so we thought okay let's focus on 18 plus and uh, we also excluded women with 55 plus so the criteria was reproductive age and 18 plus and then we made it that, as I said before, that diagnosed by medical doctor. So self-diagnosed people were excluded. And then you need to be of ethnic. We got few responses from Bangladesh, few from Sri Lanka, few from Pakistan, few from, and a lot, of course, living in UK, living in US and Australia. So Australia was the second highest response we got because Australia is like a lot of young generation living there. But if I see people born outside India, but they're parent or grandparent was born in in India, those numbers were very high if we talk about UK. That was very strict eligibility criteria and I struggled with the recruitment first, but then take off, it it becomes like it. In India, if you do something, it becomes like a community thing and then people started responding and then I got very good response, thankfully, and that's how I was able to do it. Other thing is about research in Ayurveda as a whole thing, that what you want to do. I took diet as a very important aspect because Ayurveda is also a preventive measure. It talks a detail about your food, your how to lead a healthy lifestyle. That aspect, I think, is of very much relevant uh, in preventing lifestyle disorders. 
That's the untapped area of Ayurveda, which has to be streamlined or strategized uh, further. So challenges are were at all stages. And because I'm a working mother, I have two children. One is at 10 and 8, my busy husband. So it, things become very rough at some times, but then you need to plan properly that, okay, these are the days for PhD. These are the days for the clinic. These are the days for the children and with family. So you go life, I think, just as it flows, you just move towards that. So... You make several plans, but I think it's just in that moment of time that what works for you, set it all right. I think for PhD students, it's, it's really important to set that priority that, okay, this is this is what is my priority for this month or let's say this year. So start with the year maybe. So you have an overall umbrella view of your PhD that this is how many years, what I'm going to do in each state and be realistic, I guess, and give yourself enough time. Don't feel like, because I felt myself that recruitment would be so easy, but it wasn't. And I felt that I would do my reviews very quickly, which wasn't. I think all my expectations were let down. I realized that, okay, things are not that easy or quick as you believe. So setting very clear boundaries on or expectations are very important early in the PhD and choosing a topic which is very clear. I found that the more you talk to people about your topic, the better it is because especially your peer support, like if you have a peer group, this is what I'm pointing out. So when I thought, okay, let's have just PCOS was on my mind. I never went into weight management, but I started talking with my supervisors, my colleagues, and I realized, okay, you need to narrow it down. You may not like it as a clinician <laughs> to be narrowed down, uh, but you like it as a researcher so that you're focused. You don't lose your focus in something else that this is what I'm focused on now because my survey is talking about weight management, that weight management is not happening well and they're not receiving, they're not satisfied with the advices. I think that sets my hypothesis very correct. I would be surprised if that doesn't fit that I have to change my whole thing. But, but I was lucky enough to, okay, this is setting in. This took time, I think, but expectations... Uh, boundaries and balancing your personal and professional life very important as a PhD student and I'm as I said I'm in midway so there's a lot yet to come because when you do the trial I think that's when you get more challenged I'm looking forward to further challenges yeah, they keep unfolding as we progress through the PhD. You know, first year you have some sets of challenges and as you move on, they you know they continue to be complex, simple, and sometimes unexpected as well. So move along towards the latter half of our discussion today. Viputi, maybe if you can talk us a little bit about overall, what do you believe some of the practical applications of your research that you can see so far? Yeah, of course, that's the most important thing you write in the paper is uh, applicability of the research. As I said earlier as well, that this is for Indian women, ethnic Indian women, and uh, dedicate. I'm very passionate about this research in this community. Coming from the same community also gives you a lot of boost your confidence as well that what you're doing is maybe going in the tune. So applicability would be that once my trial is done and if we find it effective or not effective actually we find it feasible we find it safe then we are going to these community groups and also to health professionals and policymakers to say this look this is something a lifestyle tool we have developed we would like you to give it to your patients or and explore it further as a lifestyle thing because women may not want to they want a particular advice like okay this is what i want which suits them because they don't want 
not something there's so many things online about lifestyle diet the fat diets which comes and goes the exercise things and yoga in general as well people say and yoga is pretty interesting because you can do it from your home you can do it for a longer period of time it doesn't need an investment it doesn't need that much money if you learn it well and but you need to do it on the professional of course that is also a very empowering tool to give it to these women that okay you do these exercises you do this kind of diet and give it to your patients so that's what is it that applicability and maybe if i do a post talk then i would then bring it something uh, to a full fledged rcd or then involve other uh, behavioral strategies into this and empower these women to have a healthy lifestyle which is not just to overcome pcos but because pcos is like a whole life it involves your whole life thing so you need strategies which are sustainable which are affordable which are interesting and easy to do but same time evidence based which are recommended by the researchers or recommended by your doctor so that's very important and that's what we want to create for these women which is they can practice for a longer period of time so so you may practice yoga for few months but then you can give a gap and then you can pick it up again you can do it from your home you can do it as a pre-recorded video you can go and find a yoga teacher and do it so there are different methods you can get into it you may feel very calmer uh, once you practice this and so you know there is a body mind thing which comes in and you can manage your stress as i said pcos you know there's a lot of stress also psychological uh, anxiety and depressions were very high key concerns among these women so that can be also you know as a holistic approach if you take it that is what our team is looking at hopefully we'll reach there slowly it's a good interesting thing which i have got myself into it so Yeah it sounds really interesting I'm sure there's a lot of practical applicability you're finding keep emerging I'm sure there will be more applications to the participants and the community in the future I guess my final yeah. question for today Vibhuti is you do your work research you're a mother you're a practitioner what do you do sometimes you know your spare time outside the world of research to keep your hobbies and things like that Yeah I think they are the most most important aspect of a PhD student finding time for self and I would like to tell everyone that it's very important thing to do is self care is self awareness saying no to few things saying and being mindful of what you are getting into in terms of research work or in terms of projects you take on so it's very important that we find time for practicing our hobbies i think i found writing a journal is very interesting thing for me what i do is maybe on a sunday night or monday morning i preferably sunday night that i go and open my book my journal where i write things that okay so these are my priorities for this week this is what i'm going to do on monday tuesday wednesday and at this time and set very very less expectations so that's my actually i would call it as hobby because it takes my stress off when i'm writing something and listening to music i think that lifts me up going in the park listening to music exercise just getting into sun that's very profound i sometimes just like to get out in the sun sit there for a while you feel like you're rejuvenating yourself you're taking that energy into you that revives that dead things in ourselves i guess in myself at least it revives the dead things and i love doing that also my children i think though they are a responsibility they're seen as responsibilities but they are a very high source of strength to me because my children keep asking me which standard you are in study you're studying in which standard or which class you're studying i'm like oh, i'm doing my phd they don't know so they want numbers i say okay i am in my 25th standard or i am in my 20th standard whatever 
and they say, oh, so much. We have to study. I'm like, no, no, no. You are still in second standard. You are still in very little. You don't need to. You don't have to. They cheer up your mind if you had bad days sometimes, maybe with rejections or anything. They light up the mood and they become your great strength. And that's how we need to look at. We need to look at that. What are our sometimes for a PhD student? What is that pulling them back and how to convert them into strength? That's very important, I guess, as a PhD student as well. So hobbies are very important, which helps you. So just sometimes sitting and doing nothing. I just sit down. I just think nothing sometimes that people would call meditation, maybe, or mindfulness. So you're just being aware of what you are doing. Do it maybe weekly once, whenever you need it, or set a time for it. Do it more often so that you become better at it, doing it, and see the results. So you need to have patience when you are practicing yoga or mindfulness or meditation. It needs more of consistency to do it and then see the results. That's how it is. And and just going for a walk, maybe window shopping. I'm calling it as just because I like it. I just like to go stroll around the shops, do nothing maybe, don't purchase anything, but just know oh, how beautiful everything, how beautiful, how colorful is everything. It's not as dry, it's not as problematic as your PhD, but yeah, it's, it's so nice having fun around the shops. Maybe buy something, taking care of yourself, I think should be the first hobby. Yeah, that's so true. And all of what you are doing, I'm sure it's supporting in your journey as well. I'd like to thank you, Vibhuti, for sharing your interesting insights and your journey so far. And I'd like to wish you all the best in the next chapter of uh, your research. And thanks again for joining us on this episode. Thank you so much for having me. And it's such a great thing that you brought this podcast and help students and other researchers to open up about themselves and about their study. So it's a really interesting one. I wish you good luck also for your podcast. And hopefully, maybe once I complete my PhD, we'll have another talk. Then I think my challenges, my description would change maybe after that or remain same. Yes. Thanks so much. Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Halftime Scholars. Let us know what you think of the show and leave us a rating on Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast. We'll see you next month on our next episode.